Hey everyone, welcome back to Sophomore Citizens. I'm Gigi. I'm Liesl. And I'm Lily. Hello, my wise babies. We are so glad to be talking to you again. And let's get right into our check-in. Liesl, tell us about the new show you've been watching. I'm so curious to hear about it. Yes, I recently became completely engrossed in an HBO docu-series that is actually currently coming out. So I am current up to date with all, I think, five or six episodes that are out, and there will be a couple more coming out over the next couple weeks. And this documentary is called The Vow, and it's all about a cult situation that is called the Nexium Cult. Um, And it is a super, super fascinating situation that happened. I will say the first episode of the docuseries is a little slow, and it kind of feels like it's more about like a multi-level marketing scheme or like a pyramid scheme so like at first it's kind of like this educational like self-help self-improvement just like pyramid scheme vibe um but then it ends up just really like unfurling into something so much darker and more interesting um and I know that like with all three of us we have had interest in cults and that sort of stuff and and those sort of like groups for a long time Um, And I think that, like, with this group in particular, the psychology of the group is super interesting. And I think that similar to Scientology, like, these cults that are, like, all about self-improvement and doing this, like, weird type of therapy is so interesting to me. How this, like, self-help, you know, sort of, like, guru vibe then, like, turns into, like, this really dark, deep, seedy thing and how so many of these cults like literally just come down to like a man at the top who wants to like have sex with everyone. Like how does that happen? A hundred percent and I love that you bring up Scientology because that is my point of interest in the cult world. I ever since high school have watched so many of the Scientology documentaries, listened to podcasts about it, going clear, all of that. I I was just gonna say I remember Lily like I had seen Going Clear and I was like, Lily, you need to watch Going Clear. And then I remember watching it together and just being like, what is this? It is so insane to me. I mean, I know that I'm not saying anything that people don't know. Like, obviously, that is why it's so interesting. But just the way that it makes your brain feel and it's like, how is this happening? I just also think it's wild that... Elizabeth Moss specifically, who is the lead in Handmaid's Tale, which is loosely based off of a real life cult, according to Lily, um, that she is like so deeply entrenched in the Scientology world to the point that when someone was publicly denouncing Scientology, she got up and left. Like fully is, is like so so deep into that whole situation and it's like how can you not use your eyes elizabeth moss that the that the actress that you are playing who is like vehemently against the cult behaviors of this dystopian world and yet you're living it out in your real life i know it's so crazy and like I I love Handmaid's Tale. I want it to come back soon. And I think it's such a good show and it's so well done. And I think like I was hesitant to watch it because I think like the costumes and like the setting and everything just seems like a little 
on the bizarre side, but like if you haven't watched Handmaid's Tale, I highly, highly recommend it. And I think that like, you know, this the the Vow docu series, it, it it's at an interesting intersection where like Scientology doesn't really have that much to do with like women or women's rights or like you know, sex or anything really. And obviously Handmaid's Tale has a lot to do with like the role of women and, you know, childbearing, abortion, like all that sort of stuff. Whereas like the Nexium cult situation is under the guise of like female empowerment and like this women collective, but then is also like at the end of the day being spearheaded by this like really creepy man who like has sex with everyone and controls everything. Like it, this docu-series truly is a combination of like so many different types of cults and is fascinatingly like non-religious which is also super interesting to me where like with Scientology with like the Waco situation with so many with Handmaid's Tale like there's this religious component whereas with the Nexium cult it's like a business cult like who's ever heard of something like that like it's so sick and also with the Nexium cult like, one of the highest up people is this actress named Allison Mack, who I had personally never heard of, but apparently she's, she, like, used to be a somewhat relevant actress, and Gigi, it's so similar to, like, the, the Elizabeth Moss situation, obviously there's Tom Cruise, John Travolta, like, there's a million people in Scientology, and this documentary does a very good job of talking about why, like, celebrities and people like want to be actors and actresses or people who have like inherited a lot of money end up being really attracted to being in cults because like they've grown up knowing that like they're set for life that they're privileged right so then they want to like go out and be a part of something and like you know contribute to something that they think is like healing the world and is like improving the world so like with the nexium cult there's these sisters who are like inherited like 250 million dollars or something from like a liquor company like they were like the heiresses to this like fortune and they're the ones that are like funding this cult and it's because they think that they're like healing the world like and they're giving back and so the the psychology of being the type of person who's like very wealthy very well off and like you know secure in their life like you wouldn't necessarily think that person would be attracted to a cult but they are because they want to have like this greater purpose and like this society and this community, you know? All right. Well, with that very interesting conversation about cults, let's get into our topic this week, which has absolutely nothing to do about cults whatsoever. Instead, it is about sleep, something that I love to do, Gigi loves to do, Lisa loves to do, you probably all love to do it because you spend about a third of your life doing it, and we have lots to say on it. So, For the first topic on this sleep-related episode, Liesl, hit us with it. Yes, I wanted to talk about, you know, our rituals and habits and behaviors regarding sleep. Um, And this is often kind of referred to as sleep hygiene um, and just kind of like the, the proper way to get ready for bed and kind of have your nighttime routine and get settled for bed. And this is something that like, there are so many different rules and kind of like requirements for sleep, I feel like, and, you know, no technology for like three hours before you go to sleep, like crazy things that people say don't work out before you go to sleep, like don't eat before you go to sleep, like all of these different rules and regulations. And I'm curious to know like what you girls think is valid or what you girls try to do as far as going to sleep. Because I know for me, 
I have found the key for myself in going to sleep and it has really helped me go to sleep pretty much anywhere, which is to wear a sleeping mask over my eyes. And this like creates a completely dark atmosphere and now has become more of like a trigger for just like sleepy time. So I put the little eye mask on my forehead, like a little headband right before I'm about to go to sleep. And I feel myself genuinely like go into relaxation, sleepy time mode. And then when I finally put it over my eyes and there's just darkness, like it is so much easier for me to fall asleep. And I literally used to like, if I was sleeping in a hotel room where there was like an alarm clock or something with like a flashing light, I could not go to sleep. And I never thought of using a sleeping like eye mask. And I never thought that that would really do anything for me, but it has become such a beautiful ritual in my life. And I want to know if you girls have anything that, you know, you use to kind of cue or trigger sleep. So I don't feel like I do, and I am no sleep scientist, but I feel like what you're talking about, Liesl, with the eye mask and like it triggering sleep, I feel like behaviors like that literally release in your brain like it is time to go to sleep and like melatonin or whatever, you know, sleep brain chemicals happen. I feel like those things and like in the same way that we have our circadian rhythms and we're like in tune with the cloak of night, you know, and that's how we know to go to sleep. Um, What I will say, I feel pretty strongly under the umbrella of sleep hygiene is that like being in my bed I will go to sleep. If it is the middle of the day, if it is the dead of night, it does not matter when. If I am in my bed and let's say I'm on my computer or I'm reading, like chances are I will fall asleep. And I feel like for me, it is pretty important that I only get into my bed when I've made the decision that I'm okay with falling asleep. So like if I get in my bed midday, which actually coincidentally happened yesterday because I had a class get canceled midday. And I was like, this feels like a great opportunity for a nap. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to get into my bed and we'll see what happens. And lo and behold, I took a little nap. So I would say that that is one sleep hygiene thing or like ritual sort of that I feel strongly about, which is that like, I only get into the, you know, environment of my bed when it is time for me to sleep. I would say that my sleep hygiene related thing is that I am very scheduled with my sleep. I'm someone who loves to count the hours that I have slept the night before. And when I go to sleep, count the hours I'm going to get. And I'm very like methodical about it. And I am someone who really needs a lot of sleep. I think more then I don't know exactly what is recommended. I'm no doctor, but I think people throw around numbers like seven, eight hours. I certainly think I'm more the eight, nine, 10 hours to feel like I am recharged and ready. And so I will plan out my sleeping in order to get those hours. And then I try to stick to a schedule of like, I'm going to bed at a similar time. I'm waking up at a similar time. The only item that is sleep-related and important to me is a blanket that I have had since I was very little. She's very important to me. I just gave her a gender. She's had one for a very long time, and that is something that signals sleep. Like, I don't like 
wrap myself in the blanket when I'm feeling cold. I, this special blanket to me, which I am so glad that the whole world gets to know that me as a 21-year-old individual still has this strong connection with the blanket, is exclusively a sleep thing, makes me feel comfortable, safe, warm, and that triggers sleep in my mind. Well, yeah, I'm glad you bring this up because, you know, I had a very strong connection to some, you know, little blankies uh, growing up to the point where, like, I can remember being 10, 11, 12, let's say, and being like, I will have these items for the rest of my life and I will need them to go to sleep. Unfortunately, the wear and tear of all of my loving years with these blankies deteriorated them into thin air, so I am no longer able to sleep with these little blankies. And by little blankies, I mean like I had a couple burp cloths that were really special to me as a kid, and then there were some other additional little blankies that would hang out with those burp cloths, and it was all a little recipe. I would make a burrito of all of the little blankies, and it's just funny because I remember feeling so strongly attached to those items, particularly for sleep time and for feeling comfortable in my sleeping environment, and I can say that as a 21-year-old young woman, I no longer sleep with these items. But if they were still in existence, I fully would. You know, like, if I could, I would. Well, people have asked me that before that know the connection I have with my blanket, which I would just like to point out is a healthy connection. I'm not bringing it places, but I do need it to sleep. I brought it to school. It comes home with me. I brought it abroad. It, it does come around town. And my mom has said, like, when you're married, like, you're going to have it in your bed. Like, uh uh-huh. It's not going anywhere. I need it to sleep. This is important for my sleep schedule. And that's, this is part of why I think that, like, the sleep mask is so powerful. Because, yes, I do get made fun of sometimes by friends or, you know, people that it's a little silly to, you know, you look kind of foolish, like, wearing an eye mask. But unlike a large blanket, like the the sleeping eye mask can go anywhere at any time and activate sleep. And it's completely socially acceptable on a plane, on a train, in a bus, in a car, um, in all of those places. And so like I, my argument in this topic above anything else is just that everyone should get an, an eye mask and try it out sleeping with it and see what it does for their sleep. If you try it out for a couple weeks, I'm telling you, like, it will transform your sleep. Listen, I don't need transforming of my sleep, okay? I sleep perfectly fine without the mask. I don't need any kind of light blocking out. Like, personally, I like to wake up with the sun to a certain extent. I don't want my eyelashes getting crushed. I don't, like, it feels like it's suffocating my face. Like, I feel like I wouldn't be able to breathe, which I know my eyes are not the breathing vessel, but I'm telling you, like, that's what I would feel in my, in my, in my heart. Okay, well, now I know what Gigi is getting for her birthday and for Christmas is a silk loose. It's not tight on your face. It's very loose and it just sits there. The other thing that I have to say, Gigi, about like enjoying being woken up by the natural light, I have heard that that impedes your sleep. So like, you know, when you when you start to like slowly wake up with the sunlight, 
your sleep quality is not as good in the morning when you're like slowly naturally waking up. And so basically if you sleep with like an eye mask or have like blackout curtains or whatever, and you're able to sleep into the same time, then your quality of sleep will be better and you'll be more well rested. I can understand that. But as someone who with blackout can sleep to literally 2 p.m. and not know, my life is better this way. But, but that's why you have an alarm. Like you have to set an alarm at some point. No, because I like waking up like slowly and beautifully. Okay, look, I think I lie somewhere in between the two of you because I don't sleep with an eye mask every single night, but I have one and my room has the opposite of blackout shades. It literally gets so bright that when I wake up in the morning, I typically put my eye mask on so that I can sleep and not have to wake up at 6 a.m., if that makes sense. So I'm somewhere in between. And I don't think I'm team Liesl by saying everyone needs an eye mask because I don't think you do. But I'm also not team Gigi of like, we don't need one. I think what everyone does need is some sort of sleeping ritual. So for me, that's more my times and my blanket. For Liesl, that's her eye mask. Everyone has a different thing. And I don't think everyone needs an eye mask, but I do think everyone should have some part of their sleep cycle that is ritualistic and gives it more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is here. I can, I can get behind that, Lily. I completely agree. And what I meant to say was that everyone should try having an eye mask for some period of time. And Lily, I love that you're making it your own and using it in your own way. Like that's so beautiful and stunning to me. Um, and like, that's the thing, like everyone could reap the benefits of just trying out using a sleeping eye mask. So that's why, you know, I'm going to buy one for Judy for her birthday and that way she'll be able to try it out. Just try, like, it's not going to hurt you. You actually said you were going to buy one for her for her birthday and for Christmas. So she was getting two. I just think that's important that you get her both. But also I will say I used to be very anti-sleeping mask. And I really like it for planes and traveling. And then my new found thing of putting it on at like 6 a.m. when the sun starts to rise is wonderful for anyone else who is having a similar issue. I highly recommend doing that because it was a problem that I've now overcome. So I wake up every morning with it on, but I can't fall asleep with it on. All right. Well, with that, let's get into my topic for this week, which is all about dreams, dreaming, that type of thing. So we have done a fun thing in preparation for this episode, which is that all three of us kept a dream journal. For those of you who don't know, that's basically just writing down your dreams. I did this most mornings, so right when I woke up, whatever dreams I could remember. But last night, I woke up in the middle of the night because I had a scary dream, and I woke up with my heart racing. And so I wrote that down, and when I woke up for real in the morning and read it over, I realized that it made absolutely no sense. So my dream journal was a combination of um, morning reflection, midnight reflection, all of the sort. But I have never dream journaled before, and I did really enjoy doing it. And would love to hear about both of your experiences dream journaling as well. So I had never really had the experience of keeping a dream journal. Um, I was curious to see what this experience would be like. And I feel that, you know, most mornings I was able to get out a few dreams that had happened pretty recently in my night of sleep. Um, 
nothing super interesting or groundbreaking. I think most of my dreams were just the usual kind of odd things or weird situations, but nothing that, um, you know, exciting or noteworthy. But I will say one or two mornings, instead of immediately picking up my dream journal to jot down some notes, if I picked up my phone, it made it that much harder to hang on to those dreams and those memories. And I feel like as I was sort of waking up some mornings, I would be like trying to remind myself of what the dreams were just to keep it fresh, you know? And I think that in some instances, I was reminded of things throughout the day, and then I would kind of add it back to the, the dream journal. Because you know how like during the day, sometimes stuff will trigger it, and you're like, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have remembered this dream that I had. So that definitely happened as well. But I don't think, like I've heard that dream journaling like makes it easier to lucid dream. And I think that that is something that takes more time than just, you know, like the week or whatever, however many days we did this for. So I, you know, my, I might continue doing this to see if I can unlock that lucid dream status, but I don't really feel any progress in that direction so far personally. Yeah, that is something really interesting that you bring up, Gigi, because I hadn't even thought of that. For anyone who doesn't know about lucid dreaming, it's basically where you um, manage to gain the skill of being aware that you are dreaming while you are in a dream and then therefore like being able to control what you do during the dream so if you were dreaming that you were in a field and then you realized you're dreaming like you could fly and have that experience of flying in your dreams so i've always thought that that was super interesting and something that i would love to be able to do but i know that it does take a lot of time Gigi, as you're saying and like a lot of dream journaling and just you know trying to to find a way to like become active within your dreams well um, I lucid dream quite often. I have since I was really little. I don't know why I got that power, but almost every time I dream, I lucid dream. And it was something I wrote about in my dream journal this week. But it's honestly something that I don't really like because sometimes I want to be in my dreamscape or like, let's say I'm having the most incredible dream ever. To reference something we were talking about in the last episode, I'm with my celebrity crush, okay? Me and Trevor Noah, we're at our meetup. We're on a date. It's going amazing. And then my brain's like, Lily, this is a dream. Like, I hope you're not having that much fun because it's fake. Like, no, I want to have my fun. And like, sometimes it's cool. Like last night, as I said, I had a very scary dream and I was able to tell myself, this is a dream. It's fine. Like just wake up right now and it won't be scary anymore. And that's exactly what happened. But for the most part, I don't like it as much as I would think. And I know it's something people try to achieve, but sometimes like I want to push it away. You know, this is an interesting perspective, Lily, that I had never really considered. Like in my mind, lucid dreaming is like the coolest thing you can do. But I feel like just going off of what you're saying, this reminds me that another like key aspect of dreaming for me is that like sometimes those super powerful vivid dreams that feel super real and you are not aware that it's a dream you wake up from and you feel real emotion whether that be towards your own life whether that be towards other people like i know i have woken up from dreams being like i'm mad at that person or like i have to apologize to that person or I have a crush on that person that I never would have thought I would have a crush on. Like, I feel like the the power of dreams in their ability to like alter how you see your reality, even just briefly, is 
is mind-blowing to me. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like I don't have a ton of dreams that are that realistic or that like involve people in my life in that kind of way. Like I know that one of my best friends in high school would always have dreams like involving our friend group and would always like report back and like tell us all of the weird things that we would do in her dreams. But I've never really dreamt like that. I noticed that when I was doing my dream journaling, a lot of my dreams were about TV show characters of like the TV show that I was watching before I went to bed. Um, and like me interacting with them, which was kind of interesting, but like makes sense because that was what I was doing kind of in the lead up to going to bed. Um, and I usually don't really remember my dreams that much. So they don't really like affect me as much or affect how I'm feeling. But that was something that I really enjoyed with dream journaling is because I usually don't remember my dreams. It was actually really fun to remember some of them. And like Gigi was saying, they would just like sometimes pop into my head randomly. One of my favorite things that I wrote down um, from my dreams was that I had a dream about a cuckoo clock covered in sprinkles. Um, not sure where that came from, but that was one of the things I wrote down. I also had a dream that I moved to Chicago, which is something I would never, never do. But like, it's, see, it's all about me. Like, I don't know why my dreams like don't involve other people. Like they're just me and TV show characters. I think one thing, thing that is cool about the dream journal is being able to like look back at it and and track patterns or like see what it is that you're most frequently dreaming about especially because even when I do remember a dream like I don't remember it two three days down the line you know what I mean like maybe I remember it that day but I couldn't tell like other than the one recurring nightmare that I had as a child I couldn't tell you like any other dream that I've had in my whole life basically so it's just interesting now looking back at my dream journal and being like, oh yeah, like that was what happened in my dream a few nights ago. But I never, like, if you would have asked me, what did you dream about on Monday? I would have never been able to tell you. Well, it's funny because I do have a, a dream from my childhood that involves a specific building that is near our house. And Gigi can like attest to the fact that I sometimes feel very uncomfortable. There's like a specific staff, like sculpture situation out front of this building. And I just like when I was maybe like six or seven had a nightmare involving this building that has stuck in my brain so strongly. I also have another dream like from my childhood about escalators that sometimes I'll think about when I'm like on an escalator. Um, but yeah, so do you girls like remember like dreams from your childhood? Because I like some remember certain dreams from my childhood. Like I could, I could like draw them. Like I remember some dreams from my childhood so vividly, which is so weird. There's only one that I remember from my childhood and it is my childhood recurring dream. And I could tell you every second of it because I had it so many times and it wasn't necessarily scary, but it wasn't necessarily happy either. Um, that's the only one I remember, though. So I had my one recurring nightmare as a child was me in a mad scientist's lab. He had, like, super high ceilings, sucky tubes from the ceiling. I'm, like, <laughs> I wish that you guys could see what, I, what I'm doing because it's kind of hard to explain. But, like, my body is parallel to the ground, like, back you know, back, legs, arms, all limbs, head being like suspend. 
Levitating. I'm like, I'm levitating, but I'm being suspended in the air by these sucky tubes. And the mad scientist is like, and I'm like, "Ah!" and then at the end of the dream, all my body gets sucked up into the sucky tubes. Um, And I feel like it's important that we discuss like what we make of dreams, because I feel like as much as it is highly, you know, contested even among sleep scientists and whatnot there's so many theories about it being like you know your subconscious trying to work problems out it's like your brain just letting off some some energy like it's your subconscious trying to tell you stuff about your life and I'm curious to know what you guys both think about like what the purpose of dreaming is or like like why we do it or what you guys think yeah, it, it's something that, like, I remember, I think in high school, I became really interested in, like, the meaning of dreams or why we dream, which, as Gigi's saying, like, the, the dream community, like, the people who study sleep and study dreams still are very unsure why we do it and exactly, like, how it functions in our lives. Um, I feel like, for me, I I don't really think that, like, dreams necessarily touch on your subconscious like thought um because personally I don't feel like I've ever had any any dreams that like could be easily translated into like oh yeah like that's my fear of you know heights or something I don't know like all of that sort of like Freudian you know kind of psychology of analyzing dreams and stuff I don't really personally relate to in my dreaming like I can agree with that, Liesl, but I'm just being reminded that, like, I know that I have had dreams of losing my teeth or teeth-related dreams and being naked, and that those are two very common dreams, and I don't, like, I've tried to Google before what those are kind of connected to, and obviously, like, I don't necessarily buy that it's like somehow predicting real life situations or whatever. But I do think it's interesting that there are like a few pretty common bizarre experiences that people have in their dreams. Totally, totally. And like that, that is like a piece of evidence, like as far as people have like a, a huge groups of people from all over the world having similar things happening in their dreams does point to there being like a deeper meaning to dreams and stuff like that. But I feel like it's more just like our brains, you know, processing stuff that is kind of like left over from the day in our own weird kind of way. Um, But I really hope that in our lifetime, the dream scientists and the sleep scientists like pull through with some answers on this subject because like, I, I just, I just can't, I can't accept there not being like some explanation or like some more concrete, you know, this is, this is what our brains are doing while we're dreaming. And I hope that those dream and sleep scientists are hard at work trying to figure it out for us. Something that became very clear to me in my dream journaling was that I have a lot of dreams that are like mundane daily activities. Like for example, I would have a dream that I was just like sitting at my desk doing my homework, which was exactly what I was doing before I went to bed. And so for that reason, I'm skeptical that that has any deeper value. Like I think it's my brain literally just thinking about what I was doing. But also through my dream dream journaling, I became very aware that things that happen like during the day were happening in my dream. So an example of this is last night, I was watching a reality TV show before going to bed and you know how on reality TV at the bottom of the screen it says their name and then their job 
And so this guy was like an insurance agent. And so last night I had a dream about insurance. Like I, I'm obviously not dreaming about insurance for any other reason. So I had a lot of fun like connecting the reason I was having that dream. So in that way, I can see how maybe dream has a dream has deeper value but I'm very skeptical that I have any like internalized thoughts about insurance other than just like this man in this show is an insurance agent in his real life. And that's all. So one thing that I am being reminded of right now is that there is some, like I'm pretty sure there is some evidence that suggests that like dreams are really important or like sleep and dreams are really important in solidifying memory. So like, it's important for that recharge time for your brain to actually hold on and store memories. And so I feel like like one dream that I had, or actually a couple of dreams that I had, had to do with some kind of random people in my life from the past. And so it's not that I would necessarily forget that these people exist, but I feel like it's my brain's way of being like, this is a person that you've interacted with and that you will continue to remember exists by throwing them into my dream. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely think that like memory and like just cognitive processing um, is, is huge in dreams. And like, I also noticed in my dream journaling, the books that I was reading and the shows that I was watching and like the entertainment that I was consuming in whatever way was really impacting my dreams. And I feel like like dreams are are like another form of entertainment for our brains and just like stimulation for our brains. And I kind of feel like that's like a better way to look at dreams versus them being like a, an, a subconscious, like dealing with your problems. Like I feel like it's more just like a, a different way that our brains like stimulate themselves and like the different sections of our brains get stimulated. And, and like, I feel like dreams and like, our, our internal monologue or our thoughts and our thinking are very connected. Like, you know, when you think about how, how we think and how we go about the world, just like having all of these thoughts in our head, like we have this whole internal world that's happening that no one else is ever really aware of. And that is that we're not even like fully conscious of that it's happening. And we say all of these things and our opinions and our thoughts and our feelings, and we tell ourselves these stories. And I feel like the the connection between that process and like the dream process is something that like people don't really necessarily like connect as much another thing that one time i heard that i'm curious to know what your girl's opinion is is i heard one time that you can't dream faces that you've never seen before so even if like you see someone in your dream and you don't recognize them it might have been someone you like passed by on the street or like saw in a show or something because our brains can't make up a face that we haven't seen. But this is just something I heard. Like, I don't know if this is actually true. Do you guys think that's true? Yeah, I don't know. I remember hearing this as well and being like, yeah, like that makes so much sense. And I still kind of stand by that. But at the same time, I'm like, who's to say we can't create a face in our head? You know what I mean? Like dreams are capable of so much and our brains are capable of so much. Like why would creating a face not be, especially because like, you know how obviously when you're dreaming, like you're kind of seeing it, like, but if you were to be able to somehow record a dream, I don't think that things would actually like look any kind of way. Like it's, 
I feel that dreams are a lot more weird and abstract and we're just making sense of it in our brain. And like our brain is, is skipping over some of these holes and like weird things that happen. And so I could see a world where our brains are just kind of filling in the spaces of, of people's faces. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I have grown up hearing this as well. I remember being younger and like people saying like, oh, I had a dream and me being like, oh, actually you can't dream someone you don't know because your brain can't do that. And like Gigi said, I completely agree. Like my brain is so powerful. I have all the confidence in the world that she can think up a face that I don't know. And also when I dream about other people, if it's someone that is not someone I recognize. It's not like I'm zoomed in on their every pore. Like, they're just kind of a being. So, like, sure, they can be anyone. But I also grew up hearing that when you dream about someone, it means that, like, they're thinking about you. Or, like, when you're dreaming about someone, it means that they're not awake. Or, like, if you wake up in the middle of the night, it's because someone's dreaming about you and all of that. So I do kind of like to hopelessly, like, I don't know. Romanticize. Yeah, romanticize that. And so in that way, I hope that I'm only dreaming about people that I know so that it has some kind of cute value that I know probably it doesn't have, but I like to romanticize it in that way. I'm curious to know if, if in some like alternate universe, you could always know when you were in someone's dream, would you guys want to know? Um, I don't think that like, I'm just not that opinionated on this, which is kind of surprising to me because usually when people like, you know, give a scenario like this, I usually have a pretty strong opinion right off the bat. I'm kind of feeling like, yeah, why not? Like, I don't, I don't think it would really like affect my life that much to know when people are dreaming about me. I also think people probably don't dream about me that often. And I also feel like most of my friends and family will, would tell me like when they dream about me, if it was something like, interesting or funny or significant or anything um going back a little bit to like what our dreams kind of look like and that whole thing this is reminding me of recently I was watching a YouTube video from a YouTuber named Molly Burke who is blind um and it's super interesting because she was talking about her dreams and what her dreams are like and um she she was, you know, she had gotten the question, what it, what do dreams look like? And she kind of explained it that, you know, her dreams are the same as all of ours in that it's just her experiencing things and experiencing them the way that she would experience them, which is obviously to not be seeing others. Um, but like the idea of a dream where you don't see anything and you're just like experiencing and hearing things was so fascinating to me. And also just like, once again, signals like what the kind of greater purpose of dreams are and that it's not just like a, it's, it has nothing to do with like a visual processing, you know, like it's so beyond um, us and like our understanding that like someone who's blind and can't see like in, in her dreams, she's experiencing her version of life like I just thought that was so fascinating and she's a really great YouTuber and so I definitely recommend her if you're curious about what life is like as a blind person that is very very interesting all right well I feel like I have dreamt and thought about dreams more than I have in my whole life in the past few minutes and with that Gigi what is your sleep related topic for us 
All right, so my topic for today is for us to just discuss briefly how you know sleep functions in our lives as this time that we spend unconscious and recharging so that we have the energy to live our lives. It winds up absorbing about a third of our time. And I feel that, you know, this is the way that we know life to be. And I think it would be interesting to consider what life might look like if sleep didn't exist. This means we have the full 24 hours to live life the way that we want to. And we don't require sleep. You might feel feelings of exhaustion or being tired, but it's not in any way related to sleep because in this alternate reality, sleep doesn't exist. So I guess we can chit chat about what we think life might look like in this alternate universe, if we would want this, if we wouldn't want this. And like, just to clarify, sleep wouldn't exist. It's not like, oh, I like sleeping. So even if I don't need it, I'm still going to do it. It's like, it doesn't exist in this world. That sounds like a great world to me. I want to live in it. I, freshman year of college was quoted to say multiple times, I just don't feel like sleeping right now. It'd be so fun. I think especially because I was living in a dorm, it felt like, you know, camp vibes where you're like, oh, we can just hang out. And the idea of like having an extra eight hours to be a person sounds wonderful to me. Um, I'm curious to know if in this world, which I think I know the answer to, would then I have to work a longer work day because I don't require sleep? Or could this time be like rest time where you're not unconscious, but you are resting in some way? Because I love that idea. I'm here for it. That sounds incredible to me. I feel like our entire lives would be restructured of like the amount of work that we do would be vastly different because I feel like the amount of work that is expected of the average person is pretty closely tied to getting tired and needing sleep and that like working conditions have been regulated because it was unsafe at a certain point and so like if there wasn't this concern of like danger or people's well-being related to sleep and rest then I feel like we reasonably would work longer days but I think considering we have a 24-hour day 16 of which are usually spent awake eight of which are usually spent working eight of which are usually spent um resting or doing whatever other stuff we want to do as human beings I feel like if we had the 24-hour day, maybe it'd be a 12-hour workday, 12-hour of whatever you want to do. That's what I feel like would happen. So obviously, if this was the scenario and I didn't know any different, I would have to just acclimate to it and like, I wouldn't know any different. So like, I would just live like that. So you know, when I'm, when I'm answering this question, like I have to answer it in the way that I am aware of this option as well, where we do sleep. Um, and I think that I, I really enjoy sleep. And I know that Judy, you were kind of saying like, you don't, in this alternate universe, you don't even know about sleep. So like, you don't know that it's something enjoyable to do or whatever. Um, but I, I do just feel like if we didn't sleep, I imagine that the days would just like run together in a really weird way. Like you would be experiencing 
the turnover from Monday to Tuesday and Tuesday to Wednesday and Wednesday to Thursday, so on and so on forever, which would be very disconcerting, I feel like. And everything, I think, you know, especially in like quarantine, right? Like the days feel very similar, very monotonous. Like there's such a repetition to the days. And if we didn't have sleep to like divide our time up, you know, and we were in quarantine, like let's just say in this alternate universe, they also have COVID. Um, it would just be so monotonous, you know, and there would just be no, no relief, no escape, you know, <laughs> like nothing if you don't have sleep. Yeah, I can completely agree, Liesl, that there, it would be a much different perception of time if things just kept going and going and going and going. You know, the other day I woke up early unintentionally and managed to complete all of my homework before the time that I usually would wake up. And for the rest of the day, I was kind of like, I don't know what to do with myself. Like, I don't know what I should be doing. And I feel like in this world where there's no sleep, I feel that we would oftentimes be like, what do I do? But also maybe in this world where we didn't have sleep, everyone would have a different standard of like, we all are doing a million things all the time or like have hobbies and have like constant, just like stuff that we're getting up to. Totally. And like, I think for, for myself, sleep is super important for like being able to remember something the next morning is like a huge thing for me. And like studying, studying for a test that's the next day. If I study in the morning, it's so not as valuable as me studying the night before and then going to sleep and waking up and taking that test. And like, obviously like doing a little refresher in the morning is nice and whatever, but like the, the break of sleep is just so unmatched by any other form of rest that like, I just can't imagine a world where like, where, where, where that would even like work and, and even having more time quote unquote to like do more stuff and like live more, like just doesn't even sound that enticing to me because it's like, you know, when when you have more time to do something, a lot of the time you waste it. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're bad at like optimizing our time. And like, if I'm given three hours to do something that only takes one hour it's not going to get done in the first hour. I'm going to take breaks. I'm going to la-di-da, whatever. So like, as far as us being able to get more done, like just based on human nature, I feel like we wouldn't even be more productive. Like we would just waste the time away and like be, be equally as productive as we are now. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point. And as someone who was so pro this, I can see your side, but honestly, I'm going to stand by my position of like, I'm down to waste some time. Like, that sounds great to me to have more time to waste. Like, okay, fine. If I'm not being more productive, but like, at least I get more time where I like don't have to be alone unconscious, which I value sleep. I love sleeping. We started that episode by saying this, but as I think people know about me by now, because I've said it so many times on the podcast, like I would prefer to be with others than be alone. And in this world, it sounds like I get to like spend more time with my friends and family. And even if that is wasting time, I love the idea of not having to commit to recharging my body every single night. Yeah, I can agree, Lily. I feel like when I think of extra time, I think of extra time to spend with friends and family, to have fun, 
or to spend time by myself. Cause I feel like it's either those instances of spending time alone or instances of hanging out with friends that go first when it comes to like limited time, you know? And so the idea of, of having extra time feels like it would be allocated to those activities of either spending time by yourself or with friends in a fun, productive way. I just feel like for me, like I'm, I'm of the mind that like things are, are powerful and meaningful because there's an expiration date on them. You know, like life is valuable as it is because it's short, you know? And if we were just given more time, like it doesn't necessarily equal more value, you know, or more meaning. And I think that this is something that like comes up so often in like a lot of pop culture. And like, even when Gigi brings up um, no sleeping, of course, my mind immediately goes to vampires, Edward Cullen, you know, vampire diaries, they don't sleep. They like to watch other people sleep. They find it interesting. Um, And so obviously that is kind of silly. And I know that even like, you know, in Harry Potter, um, to really, like, nerd out on everyone, like, the biggest thing is that Voldemort, like, wants to be immortal, and, like, at the end of the book series, like, the, the whole point is that life isn't worth living if you're immortal, because it, it just loses, it loses value by, by not having an end point, you know, and so I kind of feel a similar way as far as, like, getting this, this more time of not, of not sleeping is that, like, it, it, life might, might lose a certain je ne sais quoi about it, you know? And I especially think like, if we're not thinking about an alternate universe where no one sleeps, but we're thinking about a situation where like, you know, I got granted three wishes and one of them was that I didn't need to sleep. Like, I, I, I feel like, like Edward Cullen, shout out, I would probably be jealous of Bella and like, would want to like, enjoy rest and like, enjoy sleep. That is a very interesting perspective. I love that you bring that up. And now I'm really thinking about this world and I think I'm going to keep thinking about it. But I think that it is also time to get into recommendations. So let's do just that. Liesl, what is your recommendation for our wise babies? Yes. Um, so as I feel like I've made pretty clear on the podcast, I love TikTok. I love to spend time on TikTok. And we all, I think all three of us have had phases where we're very into TikTok. And something that I kept seeing on TikTok was Miley Cyrus's cover of Heart of Glass. And I just really, really enjoyed it and went onto YouTube, watched the full performance, and now it's out on Spotify. I highly recommend giving this a listen. Um, Even if you don't consider yourself a fan of Miley Cyrus or a fan of Heart of Glass or 80s music, there's just something really powerful and special in this cover and I keep listening to it and so if you haven't heard it that is my musical recommendation for this episode. You know I know that this is an unpopular opinion but I don't love it. I've heard it on TikTok. I like Miley Cyrus. I like Heart of Glass as a song but for some reason the cover just doesn't do it for me. Now if you haven't listened please still take the recommendation to make the decision for yourself. And I will say, I, li- I had to listen to it a couple times before it really started to hit me. So give it a couple tries. I feel like for me personally, hearing it more on TikTok makes me feel more annoyed by it. Yeah. And sometimes and that's how it goes. There have been some funny TikToks that are making fun of the fact that like the lyrics are so difficult to um, understand. Like I literally don't know what she's saying half of it, but 
Um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a love or hate controversial moment, but we would love to hear from our wise babies out there how they feel towards the Miley Cyrus cover. And you should reach out to us on Instagram or via email, sophomorecitizens at gmail.com and let us know how you feel. Yeah, I'll let you all know how I feel in the next episode because I haven't heard it yet, and I definitely will be taking this recommendation. Thank you, Liesl. My recommendation for this episode seems kind of basic and also kind of abstract, but it's something that I've been doing for the past week and really enjoying, which is that I was doing some reflection on the time I spent on my phone and on social media, and I was like, okay, I think I need to spend less time. But I didn't want to delete the apps. Like, I didn't feel like I was in need of a cleanse. So instead, I turned off all my notifications on everything other than news alerts and texting and calling. So those are the only alerts I get on my phone. And I know this is something that maybe a lot of people have done. Like, I didn't have my Instagram notifications on before, but I did have my Snapchat notifications on. And turning them all off has been so wonderful to reduce my screen time in a way that feels productive and not like, overkill of like, okay, I'm going to completely delete everything, but a really nice happy medium that I came to find. So I just wanted to share that idea with all of our wise babies because I highly recommend doing it. It has been wonderful. I can totally agree. I've never really been a huge notifications type of girl. Like I just find them kind of annoying to be honest. Like I much prefer to make the decision to go on to an app because I want to, not because I'm being made to feel like I'm supposed to for some reason. Um, But my question for you, Lily, is as someone with an Apple Watch, do you still like, because you're getting notifications on there, that's still reminding you, is it not? No, but I have, I turn them off on both. So like my Apple Watch is linked to my phone. So all the notifications you would get on your phone, you get on your watch. And so now the only thing I'm being updated is like, CNN, Washington Post, etc. News things that I do want to know in real time. And then when someone is calling me, I don't want to miss the call. And then when someone is texting me, for now I need that, but maybe in the future I could turn that off, but that also doesn't seem that practical. But like turning off Snapchat notifications was a big game changer for me so that I can like as you said Gigi, pick my time at the end of the day or in the middle of the day or whenever to be like, okay, I feel like doing this rather than like, oh, someone so just Snapchatted me. I feel the need to go respond. So 100%. I I completely agree, Lily. And I'm so glad you brought this up. And I have had my Instagram notifications turned off for so long. And like, I literally cannot imagine going back, especially I remember when I would post an Instagram, like feed post and you know, you're getting all your likes and your comments and stuff. And like, just having that like be popping up on your, you know, home screen or whatever, like your little cover screen, like I just feel like it's so toxic and like I just found myself having such a bad relationship to Instagram likes and comments and just like feeling so nervous when I would like post an Instagram post in anticipation of like getting all of those notifications and like just the way that psychology felt for me especially like a few years ago was just like really really toxic for me. I did not enjoy it and I don't miss it at all and like I much prefer to be intentional with like social media use and I think that that's such a a good recommendation and like I truly think like it's such an easy thing to do that will just like transform your relationship with your phone and social media. Absolutely I can already say that it has done that. All right well with that thank you for listening to Sophomore Citizens the podcast by young people for young people with new episodes every Monday so we'll see you wise babies then. 
Also, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Sophomore Citizens, and make sure to leave a five-star review.